I'm still very hands-on on the acquisition side of things. And that's why I love the rental property side because we don't manage any of our properties. And so we get the deals up and running, we, we see it through the renovation, and then we pass it on to a property manager that we trust at that point, And it becomes somewhat passive. Obviously there's communication involved. There's still expectations to manage the managers, um, but it's much less involved than the actual acquisition and stabilizing uh, process. Welcome to the Grid Investor Podcast, a podcast about real estate entrepreneurs, visionaries, and the stories behind the legacies they're creating. I'm your host, Rob Chavez, and on today's episode, I have Omni Casey, aka Omni, the real estate investor guy. Now, Omni is passionate about creating impact through passive income. He wants to help other people be able to achieve what he himself has been able to do over an extended journey. Now, when you listen to his episode, there's some things that you're going to pick up that I think are just such valuable nuggets as you go on this journey yourself. Everything with how he kind of squeezed more out of very defined timelines, just things that he kind of made up in his head, right, about how what he needed to do within a very short amount of time. He used essentially this concept called Parkinson's Law without really fully understanding the power of how it works. But he did it. And because of that, He's been able to have really, really fast results compared to other people. In fact, last year, he purchased 46 properties in 51 weeks. How? Why? Well, you got to listen to the episode and learn a little bit more about how Omni, the real estate investor guy, thinks. Take a listen. What's up, Grid? Hey, today I've got Omni, the investor guy on Grid, and I'm pumped to have you, man. Uh, You and I grabbed lunch maybe three and a half years ago we met through a mutual friend and she's like rob you have to meet this guy you've got to meet this guy and literally you know we we grabbed lunch and i felt like i was with a kindred spirit but we we haven't then the pandemic hit and then it was all bets are off right yeah it's it's been a while and then exactly that people told me the exact same thing rob you got to meet rob right you so so absolutely love connecting with you back then but glad we can reconnect yeah, man. And it feels like we keep tabs on each other through through social. And so that's why I wanted to, to bring you on here, right? I, I I see everything that you're doing in the community. I see how you're pouring into the agent and the investor community. And I, I thought I'd love to I'd love to hear your story. I really don't know your story, right? And uh, I know you're from Hawaii, right? <laughs> and so why do we start there? Why don't we go back in time and and uh, I wanna I wanna learn about your origin story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and as you mentioned, I'm I'm from Hawaii. I've been in real estate for about 20 years now um, as an investor initially and then got in as a real estate agent and broker. Uh, started in Hawaii, grew up in a very entrepreneur, entrepreneurial family. My dad owned businesses, construction company, waterproofing company. My dad, my, my mom, you know, uh, several successful at-home businesses. So I kind of had that mindset from the beginning, wanted to be, to be an entrepreneur. Um, had several businesses myself before real estate. Uh, everything from vending machines to to ATMs to uh, right to to um, uh, a store retail, starting up a, a, a brand at the mall. And so, wasn't sure what I wanted to be when I when I grew up. I was just I, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. But I'm, you know, <laughs> still trying to figure it out. Um, and and stumble across the book that you know most people on your um, show has probably stumbled across. Right? Rich Dad Poor Dad, and that kind of took me down a path of, um, you know, a different mindset, 
of validating my mindset maybe of why I felt I was weird. Um, and then it also pointed me in, in the, the direction of, of real estate. Um, I was actually um, at the time uh, a surfboard salesman at a surf shop in Hawaii and I was oh, flipping wow. surfboards, right? So, <laughs> um, so, so I yes. sold surfboards and part of, part of, you know, what we got to do was we got to clean up these surfboards. We got to like, as, as it was easier for us when people brought surfboards on in on consignment to like re repair them and patch them while we were just killing time. And I'm thinking, man, if I brought in a beat up surfboard, like myself or people will be repairing this for free. So I would buy beat up surfboards and I sell them. So I'm flipping surfboards at this surf shop and selling surfboards as well. And got to connect with a lot of cool people, people that lived in Hawaii and people that were visiting Hawaii. Um, a lot of people kind of funneled through there and, and found some of my first mentors um, over a surfboard um, and connected, you know, in real estate and eventually got into real estate, flipping real estate um, and then quickly realized that I wanted the passive income and started to invest in Hawaii and eventually realized Hawaii was too expensive for me to do much more. And, and I figured out a way to start investing remotely from Hawaii here to um, what we call the mainland in various states. And I've um, been doing that ever since. I'm not, let's, let's go back a little bit. When did you read that book? How old were you when you, like you essentially started thinking about these things? Yeah, I was early like 20 or early 20s probably uh, somewhere in that in that realm um and it was more of a validation of that mindset you know and and it, there was a connection robert kiyosaki's from hawaii so there's like yeah, I, I should just read that and that that took off from there got it okay so you read the book it took you on this kind of this journey this path you probably you know i i assume maybe you i don't know did you go to some networking events i mean how did you learn the game like how did because the Rich Dad Poor Dad doesn't teach the game. What it does is it kind of lays out the playing field of how to think, right? It's a thinking book. Sure. But it doesn't, it doesn't tell you how to actually do it. It leaves you hungry, right? I think that's what that book does is that it leaves you hungry to be like, how do I play this game? So I'm curious, who were some of your first mentors? Or how did you learn the game? Sure. So you're, you're exactly right. And, and thinking about how we did it back then, because right now there's so many amazing options, right? There's this podcast. There's so many great podcasts and websites out there just giving away really good information. It was hard to find back then. Um, and so I think what it did for me more than anything is it started a conversation in my head, maybe even in my soul that I just wanted to continue to have. And I, I had the conversation with as many people as possible, quickly found out who was not interested in that conversation. And so I think it just kind of put in my my head that, and maybe is right now, I guess I have been reading a book on the reticular activating system, right? Mm -hmm. you, you think about it. Uh, right. You think about something, your brain, your, your brain filters your reality to show that to you, right? And so that was probably what my filter was. And it felt like everyone was talking about real estate. Everyone was talking about investing. And it forced me to have these conversations, um, you know, over selling surfboards that just led me to find my first mentor. Um, and I kind of, um, he wasn't looking to coach anyone. I just said, like, what do you do? We're, we're, we're talking about this very expensive surfboard he's about to buy. Uh, and it turns out he was a real estate investor. And, and I just said, I want to come out and, and help you. Like, I didn't say, do you want to be my mentor? I just said, what are you doing? I'm going to show up. My dad owned a construction company, owned a roofing company. That was been my summer job. I can put in the work. And I showed up and as free labor for him um, on his first few few projects that we connected on. And he eventually, you know, uh, found value in that and, and helped me along the way as I started my journey as well. By the way, golden nugget right there for anybody listening. 
But if you if you just if you just stop asking for things and say, how can I serve you? Right? Because the exchange of information was invaluable, right? Like that exchange of information. I mean, I remember my first job working for an entrepreneur. I worked for him for free. I was like, I just want to learn. He owned five businesses. I was like, well, I, how do you do that? I just want to learn. And I want to go work for him over the summer for free. Very yeah, cool. I, I, and, and the other point that you just mentioned, so how can I serve you? And that's tough because I know you get asked this all the time and I get asked this. People come up like, hey, what can I do to help you? Because they want you to mentor and help, help them. And when someone asks me that, it's it's tough. Like for me to think about what do you what do I actually need from you? Um, so it's less about people asking and just trying to figure out like them just showing up and just just being involved and seeing. And so I didn't ask them, how can I help you? I just said, what are you working on? And tell me and I'm going to show up there. So sure, lucky agreed to it because I would probably be on a different path if I didn't go down that that route with him. That, that I day. love that distinction. Yeah. Powerful distinction. Right. It's like you you seek opportunity to be able to serve. Right. As opposed yeah. to ask. Okay, so uh, your first couple were watching somebody else do it, and then I'm curious. Do you remember your first one? What was your I, first I one? Like? It was it was a Waikiki in in Honolulu, Waikiki. Um, you know, and all condos out there. And I started out with a lot of condos. In um, so right now, Airbnb is really popular. Um, Short term rent, rentals is is all the rage. Um, in in Hawaii in, in Waikiki, there's a condo distinction called condo tells. Which is if you go there, a lot of people don't know this. You go to a, a hotel, it actually might be that unit you're staying in might might actually be individually owned, just managed by the front desk hotel. And so that was an option for for a very long time. Um, it came with its own set of challenges, financing challenges, which led to um, offloading challenges for sellers. What so it was a bigger opportunity to get into that and and get into the short term rental uh, market. Um, so I started with a condo, uh, hotel, um, property and, and bought it and fixed it up and we sold it. And, and then we eventually got into holding those, uh, longer term. Okay. So let's fast forward now a little bit, right? Um, you live here in Northern Virginia, right? You're married, you've got beautiful children and you, uh, I, I see from watching that you get your children involved in your development business. And so kind of walk me through a little bit about what your investment hypothesis looks like. Because I, I, over the last 20 years, you probably refined it, right? You did things, you learned things. I don't want to do that. I do want to do this. So this is the path. Like there's this calibration period that I think happens with everybody. What does is, what is your life look like today? What does your portfolio look like? What, what does your life look like? What's your, what's your investment hypothesis? It's a great question. Um, you know, you started with the, uh, my kids, right? I have three kids. My oldest is 13. My, my daughter's nine and my youngest is seven. And it's funny how family changes your, your focus, right? And, and investment, what, why I like investments is it's not supposed to be emotional. It's so it's about the numbers. Do the numbers work? Do you, and it's so easy. I can invest in this state or that state. And if I got the right team and the numbers work, I can make it work. And so, Starting out, I didn't do a lot of investing in this area. I moved here because my wife's family is from here and, and I knew that real estate, I can make work remotely and make it make work anywhere. It wasn't until my kids were old enough where I felt like I needed to be imparting like this knowledge, knowledge that they weren't getting. And we started to do like the book. I started to run P&Ls with them. We play the game cash flow, um, the cash flow board game from Robert Kiyosaki with them, but they didn't have like tangible things to go touch and learn. 
And, and that's when I really start to focus investing more in this area specifically. Um, and so every single weekend we're trying to buy properties and, and it's usually my daughter that's fighting to go out on the road with me. Um, and my, my, my sons, um, like it, but she's definitely the most passionate. I call her the, the mini CEO. She'd fire me today if she could and take over. <laughs> um, she'll, she'll absolutely. She'll take over the world. She's ready to just absolutely do that. Um, but we keep him involved. We, so we get to use, you know, life lessons and, and, and work ethic and things like that. Um, you know, so that they can kind of, uh, I make sure that I'm, I'm giving all the, the education that one, I have amazing parents, but we just didn't talk about this, you know, growing up. And it's just not something that was part of my culture, part of you know, our family dialogue. Um, and I just wish, you know, that, I, or want to make sure that I'm not leaving that conversation out on the table uh, for my kids, if that's something that they want to do. Okay. So yeah, I asked you a bunch of, I fired off like four questions all at the oh, same yes. time. So those were the kids, right? Sure. And then, and then, and then what is, what is your, you know, business look like today? Because I know you're a broker and you also have a portfolio and I see you hunting for properties with your kids every weekend. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. The vast majority of what I do is buy and hold cash flow. Um, long-term rentals is still my bread and butter. Um, we do short-term rental. Do we do co-living? We do some development as well. Um, last year was one of our big was our biggest year by far. Uh, we usually get anywhere between five and fifteen properties a year, depending on what it what it is. Um, and we've been doing that for a while. Um, last year, I set a goal of I just want to do one property a week. So I set a goal. I told the world I'm going to buy one property a week, fifty-two properties in fifty-two weeks, and had no idea how I was going to get there. Um, but I'm once again, a big believer on setting big goals and just telling people about it. And that puts pressure on you to figure out a way to, to do it. Um, we didn't get 52. We ended up purchasing 46 properties. Um, by the end of last year, we had something that closed that got delayed in closing. So it closed in January. Um, so that was our, our biggest year yet. And out of those, um, our number one focus is to try to do the burst strategy. So mm -hmm. if we can renovate it, and we can refinance and keep that property forever. That's our strategy. And if we're keeping it as a long-term or in co-living or in short-term, we're okay with either of those options. If we can do that, there are some properties that just don't work um, for that. And then we do flip them, um, you know, especially if it's a property um, that when we turn around and renovate, uh, we want to make it house hackable for the, mm -hmm. for the new owner. Because if we can kind of give them the knowledge and the opportunity, so the only flips we do are as if we can build a little casita or ADU or, or a separate in-law unit um, so that we can say, hey, buy this property. You're going to earn income from it and reduce your, your income and, and maybe um, kind of uh, introduce someone to the, the world of investing. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Yeah. yeah, you're helping create impact just by getting people into the game, whether they were thinking about getting into it or not. That's correct. That's cool, man. I like that. Um, okay, 46 houses in 52 weeks. How did you do that? So I think I cheated. Um, so I started putting it out there. Literally, so here's here's a testament to putting it out there and like the universe, right? Just kind of comes back. You tell people what you want and there's a lot of people that want to support you. So the first time I told people my goal, this is like maybe uh, March-ish, maybe April of 2021 when I actually put it out there. Um, and I said, I want to buy 52 properties. Literally that day, someone like sent me a Facebook message to say, hey, you'll never believe this, but I've got, you know, I know someone that's selling 52 properties. Now, I didn't buy that portfolio. It wasn't, it wasn't a good deal, 
but those opportunities start to come and I start to buy more properties in bulk in, in portfolios um, because most of my properties are spread out, you know, in various markets. And I, I try to find rock star property managers that obviously manage properties for other um, landlords as well. I got into the habit of telling them, I want to be your number one client. I want to be your number one landlord. What do I need to do to get there? Even if I only have one property with them or two properties with them, I'm telling them that I'm, I'm growth oriented and I choose you for a reason. And you are one of the reasons my, my investments are successful. So if you can continue to do that, I'm going to buy around you. And um, at the same time, if you have any other landlords that are just tired, any other landlords that are just looking to exit for multiple reasons, send them my way. And I'll see if I can buy them because if they sell it to me, the property manager knows that I'm going to keep it with them. If that landlord sells it to anyone else, there's at least a 50-50 chance that they're going to lose that client and that portfolio to another property manager, someone moving in, something along those lines. So I start to specialize in buying portfolios as the entire portfolio. It comes up mm -hmm. with its own set of challenges. Mm -hmm. um, many people, uh, landlords, mom and pop landlords that say they have 10 to 20 properties, maybe a mix of single family, duplex, triplex, quadplexes. Um, they're paid off. And at some point they got a one big portfolio loan cross collateralized over the entire um, portfolio. And which is great. It gives them some liquidity. They're leveraging their, their assets there. But when they're trying to sell, depending on the bank, they usually have limitations on selling off one at a time, or it's much more difficult. So they usually need to find a buyer that can buy the entire portfolio um, and that's what I, what we try to do. We'd buy that portfolio and then we refinance out on an individual basis, whatever we can, we sell off whatever's not right fit, a right fit for our portfolio at that point. Got it. Got it. So, so interesting. Yeah. You're essentially hunting for your avatar is that smaller mom, the pop that has a series of 10, 15, maybe seven properties and they're all paid for then they took the money out one loan which by the way i'm in the process of doing that right now with my with my partners so that we can lend that money out we've got sure. a portfolio of eight and you're making me second guess that but no we're we're, we're just gonna we're just gonna use that money for private funds right sure. um uh but i i totally see i could see where people essentially extract right um just sure. like in commercial loans right like commercial properties so let's pull the money out um where are you typically hunting? Are you like North Carolina, Ohio, like Florida, all over? Or is that like I'm, secrets? I'm embarrassed of the number of states that I'm in. Because in Hawaii, right? Uh, it's a different mindset. Like Hawaii, it's Hawaii and the mainland. Like there was no difference between California and Florida and New York. It was the mainland. And so I was like throwing pins in the map starting out my investing career. You know, Georgia, Texas, and, and, and various markets. Um, I've been more intentional since I've moved here and, and specifically as of late, I've been trying to invest more in this area so that I can have something that's uh, close enough to, to do some drive-bys and, and be somewhat involved in our project. So mm -hmm. I love, um, I love the Winchester area. I love front mm -hmm. Royal area. I love Me Southern too. parts of Virginia, um, North Carolina. Absolutely. Um, there's pockets in Maryland that, that can make sense. There's, I'm just getting into West Virginia as well. Um, so yeah, so really I'm trying to figure out what makes sense in about a two to three hour radius from me, not mm -hmm. because and I tell everyone, it's not because it's the best place to invest. There's places way better than this area to invest one, 
it, it, it makes sense because I have a really good team, really good uh, agents and property managers that help me along the process because uh, I try to be as hands off as possible once the investment's in place. And then, too, I wanted to have something that was close enough to be able to drive by and point to if I felt I needed to, you know, get my kids involved for a lesson. I love the Front Royal in Winchester area as well. We just bought uh, or we're, we have 26 acres under contract in Front okay. Royal on the uh, on the river. There's some challenges to the lot. So we'll 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 see what we do. Um, sure. I don't know. I don't know yet. It's one of these where like I think there's something there. We'll figure it out. <laughs> um, but okay, so you're probably you like you said, you're in a ton of states, right? And I would imagine in over 20 years, I imagine, you know, unless you're cut from a completely different cloth, you probably bought some bad ones along the way. I would imagine, right? <laughs> Just because you're not you can't sure. you're not there, you don't know it, you don't know if it's a growth market. You, you know, there, there's probably some home runs that you hit, and then there's some others that you're like, I that that was a mistake, right? Yes. Um, talk to me about some of those that are challenging or were challenging, because I believe that we all learn through some of those stories, right? Like, what are the not to dos when you go out and you and you start looking at investing in other states? And yeah, that's a great that's a great question. I've made many mistakes, probably more mistakes than than um, you know wins, and and just luckily just keep keep going at it. Um, when you're investing remotely, it's tough to understand, is it the market? Is it the investment property itself? Or is it your team? And, and because all three of those are tied, mm -hmm. I have had great properties in great markets that didn't perform to my expectations because I never found a rock star team, usually a property manager in place. And so I never grew around that property manager, eventually sold off or never expanded beyond that. And I have bought in, you know, average markets, average investments that have performed amazingly because I had a great team, a great agent and a great property manager. So manager. So more than anything, I think the ability to build a team, which is mm. which is something I know that you're amazing at building a team in, in various areas is the most important thing because that team will guide you because I don't know that market. Right. I'm going to do the research, but I'm going to rely on my team to, to feed me the data. Uh, to be able to do that research and making sure that they're committed and and more so just have the right expectations to meet my expectations um, in, in terms of whether it's return, whether it's communication. Um, and so that's it. It starts with a, an amazing team and you find that amazing team um, from, from there. So speaking to failures that I've had, it really, you know, you, a, a duplex in, in Georgia that one, I just don't have any connection to that area. And yeah, I've, I've been through four different property managers over an eight year period. And it's, it's subpar throwing money into it, right. Renovating and, and, and fixing up as tenants move out and the tenants move out and it's just trashed. And I'm like, that doesn't happen on all my properties. Why is it happening? Do you only find terrible tenants? Right. And, right. And, and, and but but it's me because I hired that property manager, right? So 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 there's something about me not being able to locate the right team in that particular area that has led to subpar performances. Um, you know, on on more shorter term levels. I mean, trying to flip during the pandemic was was tough, right? You know, I try to do, and although I don't do a lot of flips, we do anywhere between three and six a year, depending on 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 the market. Um, we had one actually out of, out of Winchester that was supposed to take very simple, maybe four months, and it ended up being eighteen months. 
Um, and, and because of Winchester shut down and no, there's like one guy that does the permits and, and it took a month to get you. So a lot of things happen, right. And things that we couldn't predict that were going to happen. And it's hard to be a, make it be a, a, a profitable venture when you are planning on four months and you're going to 18 months. Mm-hmm. So, um, those, those were some recent, um, tough, tough pills to swallow. Tough pills. Have you ever shut a property down? We just like shut it down. I mean, I shut oh, yeah. one down. I shut one yeah. down. It was like, it's less Meaning. expensive. It's less expensive not to rent it than to rent it. Yeah. Mid, mid project. So I bought a property last year out in front Royal and it is a, um, there's a lot of potential in it. A lot of potential. It's a mixed use um, property potential for development. And I've done nothing with it for almost a year. And I'm debating on, do I just offload it? Because one, there's potential um, but the bandwidth that it's going to take, and I just don't have the right team out there that could that can oversee it. So one, we didn't start the renovation, but it's a useless property at the moment, not bringing in a cent of of cash flow. Um, and, you know, and we're probably not breaking ground on it anytime soon. So we're we're probably close to shutting that one down. Yeah, yeah, you know, or selling it or putting it back out yep, or absolutely. you know, maybe, yeah, it, it's interesting because people don't realize that sometimes bandwidth is an issue. Right. If if you uh, you have a family, uh, you're a broker, you're you're doing development projects. You got a big portfolio. There there comes a point where you're just like, I can't keep my eye on that many balls effectively, and something has to either go or you need additional leverage from somebody. So let's talk. Let's talk leverage. Actually, like, how do you manage all this? I mean, is it a family affair? Is your, is your wife involved in the business? Or? Sure. Yeah. We, yeah. we have a company. It's called Newly Free Developers. And it, it sounds like a big company. It's not. It's me and my wife and my three kids. Uh, and we have some some assistants, virtual assistants that that kind of keep the, the, the back end running. Um, but my wife is involved heavily on, on some of the deal finding and some of the uh, the acquisitions and then a lot of the design. Um, I get up early. I love the Miracle Morning. And, and since I've been implementing the Miracle Morning, which is every day setting aside, you know, a focused time in the morning before you go off and, and leave and go to work. Um, and I spend a lot of that time analyzing deals and, and, and you know, making offers and reviewing offers and things like that. Um, so I'm still very hands-on on the acquisition side of things. And that's why I love the, um, the, the rental property side because we don't manage any of our properties. And so we get the deals up and running. We, we see it through the renovation. And then we pass it on to a property manager that we trust at that point, and it becomes somewhat passive. Obviously, there's communication involved. There's still expectations to manage the managers, um, but it's much less involved than the actual acquisition and stabilizing um, process. Okay, let's turn to financing really fast. That's another form of leverage, right? I mean, you you bought a portfolio last year. You own a lot of property. Financing starts becoming sometimes more challenging for people. How how have you kind of structured it, right? Um, yeah, and, and I'm not. I can't. I don't think I can give anyone advice in finance because I think we do it the wrong way. Would be my guess. And I've been working on on better ways to do it. So we 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 do a lot of cash purchases and then we refinance out of it. So we've um, been blessed to have uh, equity appreciation. In a lot of our properties, we save up a lot of our cash flow and we do nothing but buy cash flow with our cash flow. Um, and so we we do cash purchases because that's the easiest thing to do on portfolios. And then we figure out how soon can we refinance and get that that equity back or at least a portion of that equity back out. So that's been primarily our growth. And so that has snowballed our growth 
um, you know, if we're doing a one-off project that might be a, a, a short-term rental or, or a fix and flip, then we'll use specific um, portfolio type financing on that. Um, but other than that, cash purchase and then a refinance back out. Nothing wrong with that. That sounds like the right way to do it, right? You you are self-funding at that it point. Works for, it works for, yeah, it works for our strategy. Yeah. And so um, did you then put equity lines against properties that you have or did you just you just playing with the same ball of cash and you just keep turning it yeah so um like for example um the last portfolio we bought was 14 properties mix of single family upwards of eight unit buildings and um the problem one i don't want to tie one loan across all of them so we're doing individual loans to back out of the ones that we're keeping Mm -hmm. and so it takes time there's there's a lot of paperwork involved and administrative stuff involved so it's not an easy process um but that does give us the flexibility if we want to exit from one of those at a fairly simple simple pace um but yeah we typically do 75 percent loan to value um hopefully we're buying under value and we're able to get a little bit more than that depending on when we're refinancing so almost like a a burr without fully doing the renovation on it um and and so we we use that equity we're not doing helocs we typically up until now have been doing cash out refinances um we we are we are dabbling into more of the heloc option because of the craziness of what we're seeing in the interest rates Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay here's a here's a completely different question i've always wondered myself but it's now now i get to ask you in front of everybody else i mean you're you're a prolific investor like you're actively investing all the time like how did you become a broker how did that how did that come about right why are you a broker So I, I think most of what I do is based on frustration. Um, so I, I be, got my license because I was frustrated with my agent in Hawaii, right? And mm-hmm. and not knowing that agents didn't invest in real estate. Most of them did not invest in real estate, at least back then. Um, and and so the, my questions were like foreign language to, to my, my initial. And so I got my license because I'm like, if I'm going to have to look this up and educate my agent, I might as well become an agent, right? With mm-hmm. no intent of being an agent, but but I loved I love what the path that took me on because that's a separate business all of itself. Being an agent is an amazing business, um, but it's a self-employed business that you don't get the, the passive income. So I was doing both along the way and and then um, kind of working with my peers, but frustrated of like amazing, successful agents, not knowing what they're going to do about retirement, not knowing like they make a lot of money and they spend a lot of money, right? And that's the cycle, whether you're an agent or a W-2 employee, that kind of happens, but mm-hmm. more so on the agent side, because we don't have the forced savings aspect of a W-2 employee. And so I've been trying to like tell people about, you know, my, my fellow agents along the way about one, how to increase their, their agent business, but most importantly, how to, um, t- to think about passive income at the same time. And eventually my broker at the time didn't know anything about investing is like you should become a broker. You should teach people this. And, and I, I said, I'd be okay and open to that and just kind of went down the path and became a broker. It was never my goal to become mm-hmm. a broker, but I love coaching. Um, that was kind of uh, right when I hit my, my, my goal for my thirties was once again, um, impact, you know, and trying to figure out what's the impact that I can make. And if I can help a hundred agents and that's a hundred families and maybe thousands of their clients along the way, I felt that I was making an impact that I, that I felt I needed to do at that time. Interesting. So similar to, you know, so similar to the mission that I'm on as well. Sure. Like we, we create, we created this thing called the seven levels of agent wealth and it takes somebody on a journey, right? It starts with mindset and it goes to sales and marketing. And then you become what I call the awakened agent. 
you start learning it, you have to convert your your self-employed job into a business, an actual business with a P&L and separate bank accounts and all the rest. And, and then what happens is after that, it's a journey of investments because once you, you you start learning this investment journey, and there's no straight line, but this is kind of how it, it played out in my mind and how it's worked with my people, my team. And then, and then you go on a leadership journey, right? Because a leadership, this leadership journey allows you to be able to uh, hire, develop, train, build teams, right? Like leadership is about building teams and influencing and being a servant leader and helping other people get what they want. And then, uh, then it's scale. Then how do you actually start like creating multiple businesses? I heard you say that. So we're gonna. I'm gonna revisit this. This is why I'm bringing it up. I heard you say you had multiple businesses. And then we got to talk about. Got to talk about the vending business for a hot minute too. Okay. <laughs> and then and then once you once you're able to understand how to scale multiple businesses. And by the way, for those on the call, every little house you own is a little business in itself, right? And people need to understand that it's it's its own little business. And that was kind of like why my big wake up call. And and then it's impact. Right. And of course, you can create impact now, but impact is, you know, for everybody, it's a little different. But I, I always feel like it, it, it shows up in the form of giving somehow. Some people give with dollars. Some people give with knowledge. Right. And mentorship. And that's always been my thing. Right. As, as you know, we've run Absolutely. the Great Investor Network for a long, a long time or my personal chapter for a long time. And now we're launching it. But it's like this. It's this journey that we take agents on. And if they're successful in it, they, they actually move from this earned income, active income, the passive income. And I call that the income flip. Like you flip your income, right? So more money is coming in passively than, than actively, which, you know, sounds like that's what, that's the very thing that you created. I actually saw, so let, okay, let's go back real fast. Um, Vending business. How did that, like, I'm just curious, right? Cause I'll, I'll I'm just curious how that started. How so I'm, yeah, man, I was probably 19, maybe 18, somewhere in that realm. Um, I, I'm not a, I'm not a normal people person. I'm actually an introvert. I, I'm, I'm out in the public quite a bit and I've, I've learned to do that, but, um, I've always like just really been an introvert. And, and if I, so I started to look at businesses and that's businesses without people. Right. And so some of the best employees I've ever had were machines. Um, so I have a coffee vending machine business. Um, but you have you one know, now? I still have ownership in it. I have no active okay. role in it, but yes. Okay. Um, so it, it grinds up the coffee beans and they're little machines that, that go into office buildings and things like that, that make espressos and lattes and, and things like that. Uh, and then ATMs as well, um, which obviously not, not as relevant as of late, but uh, those were surprisingly um, very, very um, easy run little businesses you still need some manpower to to work and and refuel and things like that um but it was it was it could be a passive business and and those were the the two that i ventured that um were machines and i thought they were amazing amazing employees well you know it's funny because when you look at a house i always tell everybody you know when you buy an investment property it's a perfect little business right like if you if you buy it right it works for you 24 hours a day seven days a week. It doesn't talk back to you for the most part. It needs some love and care every now and then. You got to take care of it. You got to be, but for the most part, it does its job. Sure. <laughs> it's just like different than, you know, on the agent side, 
Yeah. Where, I, you know, I, the, do you know where I'm going with that? Uh, absolutely. I love your, your comment about the houses or, or these businesses. Uh, it reminds me of when I, I took over as a broker for my first office out in Broadlands. Um, I must have been 30-ish or so. I'm sitting, I'm probably the youngest person in the room and I'm introducing myself uh, to the group. And I go on this story about not talking about real estate, talking about my businesses. And I, I ended it with like, if there's one thing to sum up me, I, I, I kind of like real estate is what I said. And they're like, what are you talking about? I, I kind of like real estate, but I love business. And it turns out real estate is an amazing business, whether it's owning real estate, whether it's being a real estate agent, it happens to be one of the most amazing businesses you can get involved in. Um, you know, and, and, and that's, that's really what, it, what sums me up there. I love the business aspect of, of real estate on all levels. 100%. So, so I love that, 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 uh, the reason why we got into vending just for a hot minute was because I kept paying the toll here on, on uh, the toll road. And one day I came home and I said, babe, I want to have our own toll. Like, and, and our daughter had just been born. I'm like, I had this, I had this idea. What if we just like bought a little vending machine and you could put it into a place like she wasn't actively, we, we weren't, we don't have what we have now. Right. We weren't building cars at the time. And I was like, but we could put in a couple of vending machines and then that money could then be invested and they could go towards Isabella's college, right? And that was the inception. And my wife is one of these like go-getters. And I gave her like this basic, I was like, if you could get like 10 little machines in, in a, you know, uh, you know, it, within the year, that would be amazing. And she like landed 10 accounts in like 30 days. Wow. And the next thing I know, of course, she took it way bigger than what it should have been. Fast forward. A couple years, she's doing well, but you know, a vending machine like vending, like she had big machines, like she'd have like the screaming child, you know, like booze Alan Hamilton. She's like changing the chips and the cokes, and like one day she just called me and she's like, oh, "That's it, I'm done. I don't want to do this, right?" And I was like, "Okay, okay, we don't have to do it, right?" But that was, you know, that that's us flexing muscles as business sure. people, right? And um, but the concept was kind of like the houses. Like, how do I do one thing, you know, for the most part and get this reoccurring revenue that comes that comes in? Okay, so you are, um, you're a broker, right? And you're a broker for a pretty good size office. And every day you're coaching and you're cons consulting agents on how to build bigger lives. And I, I noticed that you started this uh, cash flow breakfast club. Like, what is that? Is that a podcast? Is that like a an actual breakfast club? Did they have breakfast? Like... Yeah, Why exactly. haven't I been invited? Like, this sounds awesome. <laughs> you are officially invited. So it, it's a book. It's a book that we came out with. Um, we wrote it. I, I wrote it about three years ago. And and really, the once again, the, the, once I hit 40, I was kind of like the change in mindset. This is my, what can I do to, to you know, create legacy is really my focus for, for the 40s. Uh, so we published the book. And it's really my mostly my story starting up as an agent investor in Hawaii. I, we created a fictional parable around it. Um, but basically everything that I do coaching wise to my agents and their clients, I put it in there. Like, how do you become financially free? How did, how did I do this by this age? Um, not to say it's the only path, but it's a very plain, simple, boring path about stop spending all your money, save your money, invest in real estate, save that money, invest in more real estate and, and follow some core principles there. So uh, it's, it's a book idea that I've had for a while prior to me publishing the book, because I thought there's a moment that I was never going to publish it. 
Um, I was just too worried about kind of putting something out in the world like that. Um, but I use it as my manual, my training manual. And so I started to coach my agents and we called it the, the Cashflow Breakfast Club. And eventually they started to say, well, can we bring our friends? Can we bring our clients? And then it turned into a, a, a large uh, group meetup. We regularly get somewhere in the realm of 100 to 150, um, you know, on a monthly basis or whenever we, we run it um, with the focus of education, networking, very similar to the grid network that you put together on, on, a, on a big scale there. Um, but it, it involves in the education that I think one, we're in a, a time where it's so easy to get information, right? There's there's amazing podcasts, there's amazing information and, and YouTube videos out there to give all the information away. But sometimes you just need to connect with someone and you need that coach, you need that mentor, you need an advocate to kind of pull you along just to like, can I just run this by you? And so I wanted to, one, not just me being that, but create as many agents and investors in our community that were comfortable doing that so that they can go be the advocates for their friends and family to hopefully radiate out beyond just what we're doing. Yeah, I love that. I I absolutely love that. And I'm going to go download the book. Where can I get it? Where can I buy it? Right. Amazon, amazon.com. I appreciate it. I'll, I'll send you a, a signed copy after this if you want, but um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a fun, fun story. Um, you know, I, I'm not an author by any means, but, um, it was a, a challenging process, um, that we went through and I'm halfway through my second book. So hopefully, um, hopefully that, that'll come out in the next year or so. Are you allowed to, to, do you know the name? Do you have a name yet or no? I, I don't have a name for it. I have a few working titles, but the Cashflow Breakfast Club was nowhere near the original name. And so I'm hesitant to even uh, do that. But it's going to follow the same same storyline down the road because I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in cash flow for passive income yeah. for obvious reasons. That's the, not to say it's the only thing that you can do, but it's a route that I went. Um, but I'm also a firm believer in shifting your strategy at some point. And once you're financially free, then that's when you shift your strategy. So we get so like in this world, there's so many things that can distract us. So many amazing different opportunities for investments or business focuses. And I've been I've been um, uh, guilty of, of being distracted, uh, you know, yeah. a lot. and so really the, the ability to hunker down, hit financial freedom, baseline financial freedom through passive income first and then. Then you are an accredited investor. Then you you go into the big developments. Then you take bigger risks, bigger rewards. Mm-hmm. That's how you're you're building your legacy. But too many people try to build their legacy before they're financially free, and that's mm-hmm. the riskier um, you know options out there. So the next book is on the bigger things. This is baseline financial freedom. The next book is big building legacy, leaving a mark, and and building something you can hopefully see from see from the stars at some point. You know, it's interesting. I heard something the uh, this weekend. I was at a mastermind with. Um, some really smart people and they said I'm going to butcher it but essentially it's when you're trying to go for a home home run it's because you're trying to catch up you feel like you're playing from behind you're trying to catch up and so you make these foolish mistakes and you got to realize that there's no like catching up there's just this fundamental day in day out one brick on top of another brick don't judge other people by what you have, what they have and what you don't have. This is your journey. Don't worry about anybody else's journey. Right. And just focus on kind of like that unlocking that level one that you talk about. Like in my mind, I'm curious to see whether you, you kind of feel this, but like that, that first level, that when you flip the income, when you, when you have more passive income than expenses, um, that is, I mean, Robert Kiyosaki talks about this. He says you exit the rat race at that point, right? You have, you kind of have options. Um, 
but it's it's kind of this foundational piece that has to happen. Nobody can take it away from it. And I see so many people put that at risk sometimes because yeah. they want to hit the home run. So then they lever up this thing that they created. And I was like, it's got to be so strong that nobody could ever knock it down. Right. Um, you kind of feel the same way or like, uh- one hundred percent, and and the problem is you can hit home runs, right? There with technology, with so many things out there, various investing platforms outside of real estate. There have been so many home runs that have been hit, and we've been in this this upward swing of an economy for so long, which obviously is 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 shifting. Um, so you hear enough of those stories on Instagram, on TikTok, on Facebook, and you're like, that's the way to go, because my path is boring. Like the, the path that I took is boring as heck, right? And and I encourage people to take this boring path because at some point I'd love for you to risk it all. I would love for you to risk it all except for what's financially free because you risking mm-hmm. big means a big reward at some point, but it doesn't affect your family's financial freedom. Oh man, I totally, it. I totally agree. I'm like, at that point, it doesn't matter, right? Like now you're just playing the game to play the game because you've got this like, this base, but it takes people having to be okay with what they have. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's yes. always this one sometimes for, for more. So the, so the needle keeps getting moved, right? That goalpost keeps getting moved because they're like, well, now I make this much money. So I deserve this kind of lifestyle, right? Sometimes you just got to be like, this is the baseline, right? Yeah. I haven't named that baseline just yet, but you know, it's, that's kind of yeah. in my mind and how it is. I'm, and anything I'm above here. that, then it's like, do whatever you want to do risk what you want to risk it's just play money exactly yeah baseline financial freedom and you talked there's a chapter in my book like keeping up with the joneses right we all suffer from that and if you can trick yourself or put systems around yourself because if you're making three times the money it's almost foolish not to increase your expenses your housing your car and things like that but it's by doing that increasing your expenses to your earnings level is really what removes your ability to invest at a high level yeah. And so if you can just say, hey, I'm just going to trick myself. I'm not earning any more money and I'm just going to maintain this lifestyle for as long as it makes sense. And I'm just going to throw everything into investing after that. That's how you fast forward. Well, I, I believe that uh, if it hadn't been for houses, I definitely am the kind of guy, just my personality. If it's in my bank account, I'll spend it. So I just figured I'd buy another house and it became like a four savings account for me. It. So true. <laughs> okay. Let's shift real fast because you, you use the word, uh, shifting market and we're in a shifting market right we're at the ground level we could feel it we know it right contracts are starting to fall through a little bit we're starting to sense that price drops are starting to occur um what do you do right at this point what what's omni thinking about what's he thinking at this point what's the chat what are the chess moves that he's playing in his head <laughs> I'm just i curious. love that so so there, I mean, I wear multiple hats, right? So, so I care, I'm a broker and I care about a lot of my agents and this is their livelihood. And so a big focus is from an agent standpoint, how do you succeed in this market? And it is shifting, shifting your team, shifting your, your focus, shifting your message so that it's relevant, figuring out what people are worried about, right? If you're worried about it, chances are other people are worried about it as well and figuring out what they're worried about and, and crafting your message, offering or service very tailored to that. And so that's one focus that that we, we coach and train on all and talk about all the time in our masterminds. Me personally, as an as an investor, um, I continue to buy. You know, I'm I'm, I'm I, I am shifting my my financing a little bit. Where before I was like 
dead on. It was like one of the the Ten Commandments. I'm 30 year locked in, you know, lock in that rate and never touch it again. Um, where I, I don't think I want to lock in a seven percent interest rate on a 30 year fixed mortgage, um, or or my strategy has to be involved in refinancing down the road. It still needs a cash flow for me. Um, my my return minimum return requirements have dropped um, since the rates have come up. Um, but um, but if it is a cash flow property, um, then you still need to have that positive um, positive cash flow uh, regardless where too many people got into a negative cash flow situation uh, the last time the market crashed because they were looking at the appreciation aspect of it. And there, there's just too much too much risk there. So I still think there's there's room for us to um, make modifications as long as we have the reserves to be able to support you know shifts there. Um, but the core principles are still the same. Buy properties that make sense to buy. Um, just got a property under contract in Sterling yesterday. And so we're going to, you know, uh, it doesn't cash flow well, according to our standards, but it's in a market that we can do, um, you know, actually um, uh, short-term rental, you know, and so mm -hmm. we're, we're working on that and we're going to try and optimize the cash flow in different ways. Got it. Love that. Um, you mentioned rate of return. I'm curious, what's kind of the, what's been the buy box over the last few years? What's been your buy box? Like, what do you look for? You're like, okay, this, it checks all the box. We're going to buy it. Sure. Right. So um, it, with, within the portfolio, the individual properties um, needs to come close to what, what is called the 1% rule, which a lot of people have variations on that, right? Whether it's a one and a half percent rule, 2% rule. Um, but the 1% rule works for us because at the rates of four and four and a half percent that we were doing for, for many years, um, that turns out to paying a property manager, putting out reserves um, and, and getting a good amount of vacancy reserves and, and repair reserves and still having a a um, just a straight cash on cash return of somewhere between 10 and 15 percent. Um, so that's what I've, I've been used to. Um, so targeting the one percent rule, unless we're doing a burst strategy, then the burst strategy is about the equity that you're pulling back out and being positive cash flow after that. So depends on if it's a straight cash flow, meaning the tenants are in there and we're not refinancing, or if it's going to be a, a rehab burr, then we we factor in is there enough upside um, equity, uh, forced equity appreciation where we can get all of our capital back and still be positive cash flow. Okay, and and you know those that are listening to this in other markets, right? That 1% rule in our Northern Virginia market hasn't been possible in a long time or very, very difficult. So that's why you were going to some of these other markets, right? You could Correct. find them. Sometimes when you go to those other markets, so when they're operating at the 1% rule, you got to worry about growth within those markets. Um, some of them are not in growth markets. So you kind of kind of yeah. identify which are the growth markets, which, which kind of fit my avatar. Um, and do you do uh, mainly single families in towns? Are you also doing apartments? Or the vast majority of what I do, I, I don't. The only single families we have are short term or um, um, fix and flip properties. Um, okay. The majority of our our buy and holds are at least two units or more. So two to four units is our our absolute target, and then okay. we have a few mid sized apartments. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Any uh, quick little advice on buying multis? Right. So those that are getting in to buy their first duplex or four unit or five unit, right? Anything over four units is actually considered commercial at that point, different sure. type of loan. Um, but I'm just curious what you've learned along the way in terms of what the operating costs are for multis versus singles, right? I think that could be a good yeah, little topic that. right there. Not yeah. a lot of people understand that. 
Yeah, so the the capital expenditures and your reserves are different if it's single family because on a duplex, for example, you're, there's probably some common uh, utilities that the landlord has to inherit. Like the water, sewer, trash is very common in many markets for the landlord to pay, where if it's a single family home, the tenant's paying all the utilities. But now you have two tenants sharing one bill and it's not fair to just split it because one tenant may be you know, one person in there and the other side may have three people in there. So it's not equal usage. Um, so if you're not submetering them or separate separating them out, you got to factor in more costs um, per unit um, on that side. Once you go above the, the the four unit and you get into five units, even if it looks like a a regular small multifamily, your insurance costs um, skyrockets quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, once you get into that commercial realm as well. Um, but financing is is pretty much the same. You know, in in terms of if you're still using one of your first ten loans, you can get some really good financing. You can get own owner occupied financing, right? If, uh, if you want a house hack and, and live in one as well, the best book I ever read on that, it's a fairly recent book, Brandon Turner, um, previously bigger pockets. He came out with a two volume series, the multifamily millionaire. The first version is buying that one to four type uh, level. And then the second version is buying the big apartment buildings. So anyone looking at the multifamily side, there's some really actionable content in that book that I, I still turn back to, uh, to this day and, and, and look at. That's awesome. I think I saw a picture of you guys in Las Vegas or something like that hanging out. That's kind yeah, of cool. yeah. So he's he's a cool guy. He's he's from Hawaii. He's he's a I consider him a, a mentor, a coach of mine, and 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 lucky to be a part of a mastermind that he runs on a regular basis. Very cool. That's awesome. Amna, um, what question haven't I asked you that you think our grid community should be thinking about or know? Right, we're a mix of real estate investors agents, entrepreneurs, business owners that want to create passive income and uh, and everybody's at a different stage on this journey. Some people are just starting. Some people are absolutely crushing it, right? Um, what, if, what advice would you give us? Yeah, I don't know if it's a question, but something that I've been thinking about a lot is I, I alluded to this multiple times, um, you know, throughout throughout the uh, the show, but I've at an early age for whatever reason, and it's going to sound weird. Like for some reason, I thought I was going to die at 30. This is like when I was 20, right? And and no logical reason why, right? I, I've got my own issues. And so I'm like, I need to retire by 30. I need to have it set. And so that was my driving motivation. And I clearly didn't die. And then I'm like, well, maybe I'm going to die by 40, right? So I don't know if I've ever told anyone this. So mm-hmm. I've got these weird things going on, but I create these impending deadlines in my head. Um, that just happened to be decade and it forces me to achieve at a higher level than I probably would have there. I'm not saying that's healthy by any means, but if I had to do it over again, I would create shorter impending deadlines. I mean, like, man, every five years, I got to reinvent myself. I need to fire myself, retire, start all over, do something different um, within these deadlines. And and the, without those deadlines, we kind of just live, you know, and, and there's no end to what we're doing. And sometimes you get to a very successful high level and not realize that you you don't need to be there anymore. You might be able to step back. It might be successful without you there. And you might be able to start your next venture, your next impact, your next focus. And so I think um, putting deadlines on yourself, that's why within the book, I talk about financial freedom in five years or less. Not to say that's the magic number, but if you just say, I'm going to try to achieve this through rental property purchases in five years, that gives yourself a deadline. And then once you do that, then now what's next, right? Maybe it's the bigger investments. Maybe it's a legacy after that. So figuring out what's the right deadline time frame for you. Man, I love that. Love that. Have you ever heard of the of the concept of Parkinson's law? No. Okay. So have you ever read the book uh, Profit First? 
Yes, absolutely. Okay, so in in that book, he talks about Parkinson's law, right? Mm. And Parkinson's law, when it comes to money, right? Let's just say you have, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in an account. Well, uh, if you're not careful, right, you will spend up to that hundred thousand dollars because you just feel like you've got that money and you've got those reserves and it's there. And so what he talks about is siphoning that money out. And you met, you alluded to this earlier so that you feel poor, right? The whole time you can't even see that money. So maybe you keep $10,000 in that account and you make it work on 10,000. You make it, you force it. Yeah. Well, it works like that for time as well, right? When you force your time, like, and everybody knows this, right? For the think back of like college days for the, for those of us that went to college, right? Sure. It's like, Hey, you had a deadline and most everybody waited to like, 24 to 48 hours before that deadline, yet you had weeks to get it done. Sure. But then somehow you pull the all-nighter, you get it done, you caffeinate yourself, and then you sometimes you just do your best work under pressure like that. So it's like you're creating these windows of pressure, right? You could do it with money and you could do it with time, right? So that's very cool. Um, it actually has given me a couple things to think about. It, you know, I've often said that if agents are not careful because you and I are passionate about this tribe, right? If agents are not careful, uh, they get stuck on this transaction treadmill. It's like, you know, you drive the same way to work every single day and you just end up at, like, you don't even realize it because you're like hypnotized. Well, I think it happens like that with transactions with agents. You just wake up every single day doing the thing that they did before and nobody's disrupted the pattern and said, hey, wait a second. Do you understand what game you're actually playing? Because I, I, I don't think you know the game right? I don't think anybody, you haven't been introduced to it yet. And I know I was guilty of that myself. Like my first 10 years after I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, in my uh, early mid twenties, right? I'd say like 24, 25. Um, I went on this, this, like I bought like a lot from 24 to 34. Right. And then from like 34 to 44, I really started focusing more on building the team and building teams. And I didn't buy as much as I had done the previous 10 years. And when I look back, I'm like, man, majority of all my net worth is from the stuff that I bought between the age of 24 and 34. Now I've built a really cool business and businesses and I've learned business and I've learned to convert those from a self-employed job into a business. But that journey was hard, sure. right? Like that's a leadership yeah. journey. That's a people journey. That, that journey... The journey was hard. And now I'm kind of in the, okay, well, for the next 10, 15, 20 years, I, I'm I'm entering in with my eyes open again. I'm just going to sure. buy more. Like I now understand, do you know, I can do both of these things simultaneously. But I put my blinders on. I was like, okay, I'm going to go deep here. And I'm going to go deep here. So I'm nice. Thank you so much for sharing time with me today, man. I appreciate it. I could Pleasure, probably, Rob. you and I could probably chat for hours regarding um, pouring into the agent. You know, I I refer to them once they understand, you know, the game, just the agent investor, right? They, they yep. can have the heart of an agent, but the mind of an investor, and, um, they can go out and serve that way and they can serve Absolutely. their families simultaneously. So thank you, man. I appreciate it. You're welcome.
Thank you for having me on. I'm a, once again, huge, huge fan of what you do and, and love as you know, I've, I've showed up to your events as well. So thank you for what you do to our, for our community as well. And, and appreciate to be a part of it today, man. I'm looking forward to the coming to your, to yours. That looks a lot Definitely. of fun. You even have like the I'll whole boardwalk and it's like, <laughs> what is it? Um, Omniopoly, right? I saw that. I was like, okay. We like games. Cool. Yes. Awesome, man. Well, you take care. I appreciate awesome. it, Rob. Thank you. Yep.